Welcome to episode 75 of Goodwill Hunters from the Development Policy Centre. I'm your host, Rachel Mason-Nunn. Today I'm speaking to Otto Tevi and Dan McGarry. Otto is Vanuatu's representative to the United Nations based in New York and former governor of the country's central bank. Dan is an independent journalist living in Vanuatu since 2003. Both Otto and Dan have recently written for the Dev Policy blog on matters relating to development in Vanuatu and the broader Pacific region. It's been a big month for Vanuatu. They're one of the few remaining countries on Earth without COVID-19. But on April 6, were hit by Category 5 tropical cyclone Harold, which caused widespread destruction throughout the north of the country. Due to travel restrictions, the usual surge response didn't occur, and so Vanuatu has been left to deal with the aftermath of Cyclone Harold without the usual international actors flying in. Weeks on from the cyclone, many are still waiting for assistance and have no home and no food. At the same time, Vanuatu has formed a new government and has a new PM as of a few days ago, and has announced a stimulus package to support the country to recover from the economic impacts of both COVID-19 and Cyclone Harold. But will it be enough? Otto and I discussed the stimulus package and why Vanuatu may still need an international bailout and what this could mean for the country. Otto shares his concerns around the conditions associated with the bailout. We also discussed the role of the multilateral system as well as bilateral donors, including Australia and China. Dan lives in Vanuatu's capital, Port Vila, but many of his family members live on affected islands and are still without urgent assistance. He discusses why the response to Cyclone Harold is weeks behind Cyclone Pam and how the Vanuatu government has been slow to accept support from international actors. Dan acknowledges concerns around COVID-19 spread, but argues that the government could nevertheless have done a much better job of responding quickly to those who are now in desperate need and have received very little help or in some cases no help over the last two weeks. He shares his grave concerns about the welfare of so many in Vanuatu if the government continues to respond inadequately. More optimistically, Dan is confident that Vanuatu does not have COVID-19 due to the comprehensive testing and prevention measures that have been undertaken. Despite several Pacific countries not having COVID-19, the economic impacts will still be felt widely, and Dan recommends that a restructure of development assistance to the Pacific occurs. As noted earlier, both Dan and Otto have contributed to the Dev Policy blog and we've included links to their recent articles in the show notes. The Dev Policy blog has extensive coverage of the impacts of both COVID-19 and Cyclone Harold on the Pacific. You can find the blog at devpolicy.org. You're listening to Goodwill Hunters from the Development Policy Centre. Enjoy the episode. Here's Dan McGarry. Dan, thanks for speaking with me. You're very welcome. So it's been a pretty big week in Vanuatu on top of what's been a big couple of months. A new government has been elected. And as you said earlier, the deputy prime minister has never been in government before. What impact will a new government have on Vanuatu during this time? Obviously, it's too soon to say with any certainty. Um, we can, looking at the pronouncements that have been made in the past, especially by the former leader of the opposition, Ishmael Kalsikow, uh, we can expect that they will want to make their mark, that they will want to, you know, make a, a, 
their presence known, if you will. Um, the Prime Minister, Bob Lachman, just yesterday, he issued an address to the nation stating out the government's priorities. This is a very quick turnaround. This is unusual for Vanuatu governments to be so uh, quick off the off the mark. The Minister for Climate Change, who's responsible for disaster response and preparedness, um, was out in the islands literally the day after he was uh, reinstituted as, uh, as minister. And uh, I expect it won't be very long before we hear from uh, the former opposition leader and now Deputy Prime Minister Ishmael Kalsakal. He's made a couple of very important uh, platform uh, statements in the course of his campaign. One was in opposition to the imposition of uh, income tax here in Vanuatu. This was a proposal that was made by the Shalom Selwai government. And the other was his opposition to the sale of Vanuatu passports, primarily to people from China. Um, the, these uh, passport sales, as you know, um, constitute a significant revenue stream for Vanuatu. In fact, they're the primary reason why we're in a position to offer a fairly aggressive bailout package in the, in the light of the COVID-19 uh, crisis. So the willingness to cut that revenue stream will be tested in the weeks to come. And you know, we'll see whether the government was, in fact, in earnest about uh, their opposition to the uh, program. So on the stimulus package, is it enough to bail out Vanuatu? In the very short term, I'm fairly confident. Um, the the uh, government took a really canny approach to this. They, uh, it, it was fairly um, conservative from, a, from one perspective in, in terms of the amount of risk that it added uh, and, and the kind of liability that it added to the public books. On the other hand, uh, it's been very aggressive relative to other uh, uh, Pacific Island countries, at least, in terms of protecting wages, in terms of protecting small businesses, and uh, ensuring that we have the broadest possible impact um, for the, the money that's being invested. The amount that we're talking about over the first four months is about 4 billion Vatu. That's about 40 million US dollars. It's quite a substantial sum for a, a nation of, of 300,000 people. The, uh, the way in which it was all brought about was uh, quite, as I say, quite canny. They uh, are financing the vast majority of this through a bond issue, which will be buying up all of the excess liquidity in the domestic financial market. And that means that when the time comes to pay back, we won't have to face uh, a devaluation crisis, which would be uh, you know, one of the many um, risks that you run when you start to just throw money into an economy without, uh, you know, without any, any recourse to how it's going to be repaid. So um, they've hedged their bets in a way um, by using uh, uh, domestic funds primarily as the source for this new infusion of cash. And in effect, what they've done is they've taken um, uh, all of this excess liquidity and just given it another cycle through the, through the economy. Effectively, what happens in Vanuatu, because it's so hard to lend here, um, is that the money sort of does one and a half or one and a quarter rounds through the, uh, through the local economy, and then it ends up sloshing around as excess liquidity. And so to, to pull that back into circulation um, is uh, really quite a canny uh, measure. And it, it does uh, provide us with extra cash without creating a lot of the, the liabilities that we would normally assume with a government just suddenly splashing money into the economy. It is a very sizable stimulus package, as you say, for a country of 300,000 people. Do you think it's driven by fear of getting into further debt from international creditors? 
Well, that's one of the issues. I mean, I was very quick to call for uh, uh, debt forgiveness on, on generally in the in the Pacific, and I think it, uh, the the call um, resonates equally here in Vanuatu as it does in other nations. We are facing a restructuring of our economy, and obviously that's going to put significant stresses on the uh, on the the economy overall, on our society as well, and on the political um, uh, structures as well. All of these things become stressed when the economy begins to suffer. Um, when you add on top of that the the uh, uh, disasters that we are facing right now, we, we're in a very fragile situation. And uh, without some fundamental restructuring, um, debt obligations down the road could create a significant liability for us. We already knew that there were an increasing liability, and there was some concern raised for several years in the past, since about 2014. Um, so now these concerns are more vivid and, I, I think, greater than ever. And uh, so if we don't have some kind of refinancing option available to the nation, then I, I think we do face uh, some significant risks uh, in, the, in the midterm. What are the primary ways that you expect the economy will be restructured during this time? Well, one of the things we're going to be looking at is uh, something that was begun under the previous administration, and that is a, a significant investment in agribusiness. In other words, formalizing the agrarian economy into uh, giving a, a, a somewhat larger presence within the cash economy, focusing on commodities, commoditizing a lot of local crops. Um, we'll have... Uh, uh, you know, silver linings to uh, some very dark clouds, I guess. We are actually embarking on this in, in the first really methodical way in response to Cyclone Harold. One of the major complaints that came out of the Cyclone Pam response in 2015 was that the majority of people got bags of rice and very little else. And of course, the nutritional value of rice is quite limited and it does create um, health issues such as diabetes and other things among indigenous populations. So being able to give them taro, manioc, and other local, locally grown crops not only provides economic opportunities for people who have lost them, but it also um, provides the kind of nutrition that the indigenous populations are used to. And so we, we kind of get a double benefit out of it. But this is a bootstrapping operation. There's a great deal more to be done, and it will probably be five to seven years before we've really begun to see the fruits of that transition. Right. So in the immediate response to Cyclone Harold, has there been any investment in agribusiness to promote nutritional diversity? Yeah, it's, it's been on the, uh, on the table right from the very beginning and full marks to the Department of Agriculture, um, which was, uh, they hit the ground running. They were one of the very first clusters within the, the disaster response system that we have here in Vanuatu to be on the ground delivering food and they made extra sure to not only um, provide, you know, staples such as rice and tin fish just to cover off the very basics, you know, just calories and, and proteins, but they also included a very large component of locally grown, grown produce and seeds as well so that um, farmers could begin to recoup and replant their, their gardens. So it was a very, it was a very uh, smart response, I think. It hasn't been picked up wholesale across the entire um, uh, disaster response, and I think uh, we've got a great deal more work to do, but we are learning some important lessons and we're applying uh, those lessons learned right now. 
So despite that quick response from the Department of Agriculture, you have said that the response to Cyclone Harold is a week behind what the response to Cyclone Pam was at the same time. What do you mean by that? I think we're actually further than a week behind now. I think we're losing ground on a daily basis, and I'm extremely concerned. Now, look, I I have to preface all of this by saying that I have a personal stake in this. Um, My family, uh, my wife's family, is directly impacted by this. I have one young nephew who was badly injured while he was uh, clearing brush. My father-in-law is in um, very serious condition with chronic uh, heart disease and hasn't been treated yet. The village in which they live has not received a single bit of aid, either shelter or food, even though they're only five kilometers away from the local distribution center. So, you know, I I, I need to make it very clear that I am biased in in all of this. That said, um, I have had the opportunity to do a flyover of a significant uh, amount of the affected area. We did get on the ground and I spoke to people, including the mayor of Luganville and other other people who are at the coal face, as it were, in the disaster response. And uh, I'm, I'm deeply concerned by, by what I'm seeing. Um, there's a, a great deal of sort of national pride being invested in this locally run disaster response, but it ignores some huge gaps in our capability that, that, you know, quite reasonably and in fairness to the people who are doing the response could never have been filled locally. You know, we just, we don't have, we only have one helicopter pilot operating commercially here in, in Vanuatu. So we can't run a fleet of aircraft, you know, moving into some of the more remote areas, providing emergency medical teams and, and emergency response in a timely fashion. We don't have huge stocks of tarpaulins and various other things that are needed for short-term shelter. We don't have huge stocks of food standing by and ready in order to replace the, the losses from uh, people in their, in their gardens, even though we, we, you know, we're doing our very best to, to provide something that's appropriate, nutritious, and timely. It's not working, um, and uh, that's a really big concern. As I said, you know, my, my own family's village, uh, they're five kilometers away from the distribution point, and they have yet to receive a single uh, a bit of formal aid. We were the ones who sent the very first bits of food up, and that was just to help the family. So, yeah, I've got, I've got significant concerns about the, the capacity of the government of Vanuatu and the National Disaster Management Office to actually achieve this kind of aspirational goal of having a locally run uh, disaster response. Before I ask you a question on that, suffice to say it must be an incredibly terrible time for you and your family, and I'm so sorry to hear of their situation Is it largely due to the absence of international actors that the local response has been inadequate? We do need international um, access. We need, to, but these resources are available to us. This is the thing that I find um, uh, personally. I find it a bit galling, is because of the timing of this disaster. The fact that you know the, the COVID nineteen crisis came right at the time of the general election, and now Cyclone Harold has happened has coincided almost perfectly with the election of a new prime minister and, and uh, parliament. The Entire political leadership of the country has become, uh, has basically spent this, its time serving its own purposes rather than looking at the national needs. And, uh, you know, regardless of the necessity of it and uh, the, the fact that constitutionally we're required to do these things, it has taken our eye off the ball. And it's left people in charge of a, a, a double disaster nationally in, of an unprecedented shape. With, and with no leadership. 
And therefore, they're trying to fill the void, but oftentimes they're doing it in ways that are inappropriate. And the international ties, these are things that are normally organized at the highest level, usually at the ministerial level, you know, for the, for the, the coarser grain stuff, and then down at the, at the operational level by, by others. But without the leadership at the highest level, that finer grain stuff that happens, you know, as we operationalize, it just doesn't transpire. So we have a situation where the United Nations had to say, look, we've got money, all you need to do is ask. We've got the World Food Program, who have you know, millions of dollars worth of, of goods available to us, who have yet to receive a response. You know, just an acknowledgement to their uh, to their offer of support. Um, I know for a fact that uh, the uh, people in DFAT and the ADF are more than willing to do, you know, significantly more than uh, than they already are, and it is quite a bit. And uh, so we have this perverse situation where you're seeing more relief flights um, from defense forces going to Fiji, which was less damaged, you know, with a, a smaller sort of affected population. They've got more flights going to Fiji than they have to Vanuatu, with, you know, where we've got about 75, 76,000 people who were severely affected by this cyclone, and about 100,000 overall who were affected. It's, uh, it, it boggles the mind, but sadly, this is what happens when you lose, when you have a vacuum of leadership at a critical juncture in our country's history. I believe Vanuatu did accept $3.8 million from the UN, is that correct? Eventually. Um, once, you know, a rather stroppy message was sent, you know, to say, guys, all you have to do is ask. Um, but look, if we compare that to the scale of response that was uh, required in the wake of Cyclone Pam, which admittedly affected a larger population, um, but was uh, somewhat less severe in the worst affected areas, um, we ended up requiring in excess of 50 million U.S. dollars in order to uh, um, handle the relief and uh, recovery periods over the first, you know, sort of three years or so. Um, the Australian government very kindly um, stumped up 35 million, I believe it was, in budget assistance immediately after Cyclone Pam. And that was crucial to maintaining our economy, just, you know, keeping, keeping the ball rolling, as it were. And uh, that's the kind of thing that can only be negotiated at the highest level. And that's the kind of thing that's not happening now. And I have deep, deep concerns about it. You know, the reason I mention my own family's experience is because we are one of, of thousands of families that are facing similar uh, circumstances and similar challenges. You know, if I thought it was just me, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say it. But because I know that this is the general experience, um, I, I think it's grounds for concern. I think that um, uh, if we don't recognize the scope of the problem, then we won't address it and we will see the death toll rising. Are you optimistic at all that the scope of the problem will be recognized in the short term? As things stand currently, I think some people know what needs to be done in order to rectify the biggest problems here. And like I say, it's mostly a, a lack of leadership and coordination. Um, whether the will to change that is present within the current government remains to be seen. I haven't seen any indication yet. It's probably a good time to ask you then, do you really believe Vanuatu doesn't have COVID-19 at all, because it really seems unlikely given all the international arrivals and cruise ships that were coming up until just over a month ago. Well, we've gone a month without a single detected case. And I have to say, um, Vanuatu's uh, uh, surveillance and uh, uh, detection 
capability has increased significantly. Um, it's been ramped up for quite some time. They were mobilizing before the borders were closed. And uh, I'm quite confident that uh, given our unique circumstances, we are actually able to reasonably conclude that we don't have a single case within our borders. The reason for that is that there are only two real vectors of transmission internationally. And one is through cruise ships, the other is through uh, international tr air travel. We have one international airport um, that has operated in the last month, and it has accepted um, effectively zero incoming uh, uh, passengers with one or two important caveats, but um, we can talk about those later. The cruise ships, um, the cruise ship travel, uh, frankly, we dodged a bullet. We were, um, we, we should by rights have been infected given the circumstances. The Voyager of the Seas is uh, one of the cruise ships that uh, made the headlines in Australia because it was found that its crew and, uh, and passengers were infected with COVID-19 when they arrived in port. Whether they were properly handled is, is of course, a, a matter of significant concern in uh, Australia. It was revealed well after the fact that, in fact, um, one infected passenger had disembarked on the island of Anaichum, that's one of our southern islands, um, and uh, had uh, spent about two and a half hours on shore. And it's mere good fortune, frankly, um, that uh, resulted in uh, zero infections. We did a number of tests with everybody who recalled seeing that individual and, and being in contact with that individual. We quarantined the entire island for a two-week period. And everybody who had been in contact with islanders um, was quarantined as well. They were all cleared. Nobody showed symptoms. And uh, in, even knowing what we know about asymptomatic transmission, the fact that nobody has since shown symptoms, and that's well, it's about a month now, um, I think it is a reasonable assumption to say that we don't have any infections within our borders. In terms of support with prevention and testing for COVID-19, which international actors have been supporting Vanuatu to do that? Um, well, we, we received a, um, a number of testing uh, I, I, you know, pieces of equipment and uh, about 800 test kits as an initial uh, delivery. Um, my understanding is that this number will be supplemented by the World Health Organization as well. The WHO quite wisely pre-positioned 10,000 PPEs, personal protective equipment, um, in the nation in February. Uh, so we have had basically a, a small warehouse room full of personal protective equipment since before the crisis really took, took place. So we're well positioned in that uh, regard. And like I say, the health teams, they have um, experience working with vector-borne diseases such as malaria and dengue. And so their, their detection teams uh, are actually quite effective at, at contact tracing, at uh, things like this, that, that might be new skills in other places. And so um, I, I think we can be... Uh, cautiously optimistic, I think is the phrase, about these kind of things. In other words, I think we can say with, with a high degree of confidence that we don't have the disease here. I think we can say with a moderate degree of confidence that we would know it if, we did, if there was an infection. And with a slightly lower degree of confidence, we could say it pro we probably could contain it just because of the experience of other Pacific Island nations at containing the disease. If you look at New Caledonia, which is a similar 
sort of size of population and uh, and similar circumstances, uh, they have been able to contain the disease. They haven't had a new case in two weeks. Um, uh, Fiji has done moderately well with a much, much more difficult uh, situation. So I, I think if we implement, if we operationalize our resources as well as they have, I think we can expect roughly similar results. On the topic of China, you have been critical about Chinese influence in Vanuatu in the past. How have attitudes towards China in Vanuatu changed since the COVID-19 outbreak? Well, it, uh, we at the street level, you know, at the, at the grassroots level, um, attitudes have always been a, a little bit unhealthy. There's a fair strain of xenophobia and even outright racism um, in uh, the way people respond to uh, the Chinese influence. Um, and uh, layered on top of that, of course, are perfectly justifiable concerns about the interaction between China and uh, Vanuatu. I've voiced a number of them myself. You know, anytime you have a totalitarian, anti-media, anti-freedom kind of government um, trying to make an example for your government, you know, you, you're going to be concerned about the contrast and about the potential clashes with our democratic values. That said, the... Um, a very sort of knee-jerk response that we've seen against all things Chinese because, uh, you know, somehow they might magically infect us with coronavirus is is disturbing and, and quite disappointing, frankly. Um, I've, I've seen a level of dialogue that um, is quite benighted and quite unnecessary, and it's coming from all levels of society. And, and frankly, I don't think it helps. I think it makes things much, much more difficult. Our uh, director of public health has said that all things considered, China's donation of medical goods and supplies to us does far more good than harm to us, you know, than it does create risk. And he says that, you know, he would not hesitate to, to uh, accept similar donations in the, in the future. And uh, frankly, I, I, I think he's uh, taking that from a very logical perspective. And uh, as an expert on the matter, I'm inclined to defer to him on that. To finish, I want to ask you your thoughts on development assistance to the Pacific broadly. You've argued on Dev Policy that development assistance needs to be restructured in order to avoid collapse. Is it a bit alarmist to argue that the Pacific could actually collapse? Well, look, um, when you say if we don't do anything, this will, you know, collapse is inevitable, is a different statement from saying collapse is inevitable. Um, because obviously we will do something. The question is, will what you know is what we ultimately do appropriate? Is it effective, and is it, is it the best possible solution? Normally, you know, we we aim high, and we generally achieve somewhat lower than that. Uh, is the the economy of Vanuatu going to collapse? It could actually. The the circumstances are quite dire for us. We were facing prior to the bailout being announced, we were facing uh, probably uh, a 6 or 7% shrinkage in the economy just in this year, you know, so in the remaining sort of nine months of the year. That's, that's a dire outcome for a fragile economy like ours. Um, and what would have come in 2021, you know, likely wouldn't look a lot better. So we'd probably see a further contraction. At a certain point, when you have these very small uh, 
economies. It's like putting too much choke on a small engine. You can just you, you can actually switch it off to the point where you have to re-prime the entire system. And that is an extremely difficult thing. It did almost happen in nineteen in the late nineteen nineties, um, and uh, there were fundamental reforms that had to happen. Thousands of public servants were laid off at the time, and the impact on the economy was quite drastic. So I don't think it's alarmist to say that if we don't act soon, we will face collapse. Um, in the expectation that we will act soon, and in the hope that we'll act appropriately as well. Thanks, Dan, for your time. Thank you. It's a pleasure. That was Dan McGarry, independent journalist living in Vanuatu. Now we have Otto Tevi, Vanuatu's representative to the United Nations based in New York. Otto, thank you for chatting with me. Uh, you're welcome. Now, you're usually based in New York, which I know is where you are right now, which is the epicentre right. of COVID-19. And your home country is one of the few countries in the world without COVID-19. Right. How do you reflect on that? Well, I think it's, uh, uh, it's good that we are COVID-free at the moment. I think it's, it's very important. And I think it shows how the government has reacted, reacted quickly uh, to close the borders. Uh, but not only that, the regional uh, neighbors also closed their borders. So uh, that reaction uh, resulted in uh, no incidents or no zero COVID-19 in Vanuatu. So I think uh, it's, it's a good thing. I think the challenge that is uh, lying ahead is the the looming economic challenge. I think that 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 is the uh, the real challenge that we we are facing now. But again, uh, health is very important. We we can deal with the economy uh, later on. But it's good that we are COVID-19. But uh, whether will remain that uh, will remain uh, like that, I, I'm not really sure for how long. We'll come back to COVID-19 shortly, but let's first talk about the comment you just made, that Vanuatu can deal with the economy later on. Vanuatu has a new government and has also just announced an economic stimulus package. Do you think the stimulus package is enough? Uh, I, I don't think it's, it's enough, uh, but for the for the moment, I think it's, it's okay, but it will not be able to uh, satisfy all the citizens. Uh, especially those who are invisible in the economy, especially the informal sector. Uh, I think uh, those are the ones who will feel the impact. Those who are running uh, small businesses, uh, mamas selling foods in the market. Uh, so uh, the people in the informal sector will be affected. Uh, but those will in the formal sector, I think the, the, stimulus, the stimulus package will, will be able to help them to some extent. So the stimulus package has no way of reaching informal sector workers. Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, what, what I'm saying is uh, the informal uh, sector, it's mostly targeted on those who are in the formal employment, especially uh, those who are working in the private sector, those who are being currently laid off. Uh, the hotels have uh, laid them off and, and, and the restaurants those who are highly dependent on tourism and, and other sectors, and those who are, are registered with the National Provident Fund. Uh, but if you are not registered with a Provident Fund, or the, you will not be able to benefit from the, from the st uh, stimulus package. So, yeah, the, the informal sector, I think for the first run of a stimulus package, I'm not sure how it will be defined in the future, but uh, may not be uh, benefiting it. However, I think the, they could uh, impact indirectly in terms of if those who are paid are able to, to use their salary to buy uh, local products. And some of these uh, people 
that are involved in the informal sector could be directly benefiting from that. But we, we still have to see evidence from that is still at the early stage. And Vanuatu has formed a new government just this week. Is the government equipped to deal with this unprecedented time? Well, I think uh, I'm, I'm confident. One, well, the, the good thing is for the last four years, we've been uh, having uh, a political stability in the, in the country. So we, we had that. In the last uh, three to four years, the government have, has been uh, saving a lot. And as a result of that savings, uh, we can we can be able to use that. So we we have the fiscal space to respond to the stimulus, uh, well, to to respond to the challenge of COVID-19 or the the economic uh, challenge that we are facing at the moment. In the short term, we can uh, address the the economic challenges given the fiscal space that we have, and 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 also uh, though our, our our debt to GDP ratio has increased over time. But it's it's still manageable, and and also the the other factor is uh, in in the financial the financial market we still have huge liquidity, uh, so the government can still rely on the on the domestic economy to to finance the stimulus package. So you've said the debt is manageable. Would that mean that you don't agree with calls for the debt of countries like Vanuatu to be cancelled in light of COVID nineteen? I would like to see that uh, countries like Vanuatu, the debts are cancelled, but that's up to the international creditors. Uh, they will have to decide on that. Uh, Vanuatu is uh, ranked as a least developed country, so I hope that we could be part of the the debt relief. But again, uh, uh, the international creditors, they use the income per capita criteria, so we are ranked as a low-middle income country. So. I'm not. I'm not really sure whether we can benefit from that. But what I have read from other news or other credible sources that I have read from is that the Solomon Islands will benefit from that, which is which is a good thing. But most middle-income countries may not benefit. But they could be in the future. Who knows? You've also said that Vanuatu has made a lot of fiscal savings over the last four years. Have those savings been at the cost of investment in healthcare? Most of the the government's focus is currently on prevention rather than cure. Uh, so we 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 have higher incidence of uh, uh, non-communicable diseases. So what the government is uh, trying to do is, in terms of its public health policies, trying to focus more on on prevention. There's a lot of awareness. So that's where a lot of investment has been uh, has been made. In the past uh, years, uh, but in terms of the the queue, I think uh, we still have a long way to go in terms of the the, the infrastructure or medical infrastructure. But uh, hopefully, with the COVID-19, uh, as well as uh, other challenges that uh, that lies ahead of us, we can be able to invest more in our in our medical infrastructure. So, to summarise, would you say you are confident in Vanuatu's ability to economically recover from this period? Uh, I am confident only to an extent where if the challenges with COVID-19 uh, are short-term in nature, but if they are long-term and we are, if we are not containing the virus and if the international borders are closing, then uh, we may resort to international assistance because I'm pretty sure that the, sa- the savings can only be sustainable for, for a term. And then after that, we may have to seek uh, uh, international uh, assistance. 
You've said that this is uncharted territory for Vanuatu and that it would be a bitter pill to swallow if Vanuatu required a bailout from an international creditor. Why would it be such a bitter pill to swallow for Vanuatu? Well, I'm saying that if only if it is uh, uh, conditional, if the bailout is conditional and it may require a lot of restructuring within the economy. And so those type of restructuring are sometimes purely focused on on economic issues like uh, cutting expenditure. So uh, the social spending could could, could suffer. Uh, That's one. But not only that, but we may end up with more more debt. And more debt means uh, less growth in the future. And so the the debt burden for the country will be will be a challenge uh, going forward. So that will be a challenge. So if you have high debt uh, plus low growth, how will your uh, debt be be financed in the future? That will be uh, will be the challenge going going forward. Okay, so your main concern is that social expenditure could be cut in a bailout and could also result in more debt for Vanuatu. What I mean is in the long term, uh, if the fiscal uh, space is, is limited and it's uh, exhausted, then we might get uh, we might obtain more debt in the future. And so that means that if we obtain more debt and if we uh, spend on areas that does not uh, enable growth in the in the economy, then we might have more problems in the future. Uh, so we may, we could have prospects in the future where we have low growth, and and that will be a challenge because we and and, and not only that, international creditors may uh, may require. I mean, it it, it is a may uh, may require us to to be able to be fiscal disciplined. Uh, so so that means that other important sectors like the, the social sectors like education and health. Uh, may suffer, and your interest uh, uh, expense in your budget could could rise. So uh, that 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 is a challenge. And I'm and I know now that uh, around the world, a huge uh, a majority of the countries are facing a high debt. So it's a challenge going forward in terms of financing your your sustainable development goals. Okay, so another challenge going forward is the response to Cyclone Harold, as well as future cyclone events. Which industries in Vanuatu will be affected most by the double hit of Cyclone Harold and COVID-19? Well, uh, first is it will be the the hard infrastructure, uh, like the roads, uh, the bridges, uh, some of the airports, as well as the schools and and clinics and hospitals. They they are they are affected. So these are the hard infrastructure. Uh, another uh, infrastructure that will be affected is agriculture. So agriculture will be uh, severely uh, impacted. And uh, of course, there will be less exports. And uh, there, there could be inflationary impact as you have uh, a shortage of supply of some uh, agricultural products. So inflation could increase. Uh, and another industry that could be affected and, and it will be affected uh, by the uh, by uh, uh, cyclone Harold is tourism. Tourism will be will be severely affected. I know, and I know in uh, Santo, which is uh, our second town, we have we have some hotels and resorts there. Tourism there will be will be will be affected. And how confident are you that the government can support those industries to recover? Well, I I, I am I am. Uh, confident that in the uh, short to medium term the government can 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 address those uh, challenges with a with a fiscal space now uh, but also I'm confident that there's always uh, goodwill out there 
So with international cooperation and with our, our development partners, uh, together we can address the, the challenges together. Uh, so there's always uh, uh, international goodwill there. So I have seen a lot of uh, positive signs already from our international partners. Now, Cyclone Pam didn't hit Santo, but as you said, Cyclone Harold has. Are there any lessons learnt during Cyclone Pam that can be applied to the response to Cyclone Harold, or is it a whole different ball game due to COVID-19? Well, I think it's uh, it's quite a different uh, ball game, down, game now, uh, given the, the COVID-19. You're, you're trying to address uh, Cyclone Pam with a with a borders international borders closing. And uh, actually, uh, there's no real economic activity going uh, or limited economic activity uh, going on. So that's the uh, that's the the challenge. So the government is trying to address embarks uh, uh, on a stimulus package for COVID-19. At now and now it has to uh, focus on uh, on uh, cyclone Harold. So. So that's one of the uh, one of the challenges. The lesson that we can learn from uh, Cyclone Pam is uh, we have to be well well coordinated. Uh, so I think that's uh, uh, very important in terms of coordination. But again, uh, the way we are doing it, I think it's going to be a challenge given that borders are closing. You have international partners that they want to help you, but they cannot fly to to your country when. Uh, you have your uh, own borders uh, uh, closing due to COVID-19. There were a lot of allegations of financial mismanagement following Cyclone Pam. The UN has now released around $3.8 million to Vanuatu. Are you confident that that money will be spent effectively or might it get lost in the bureaucracy again? Well, I think we we have uh, learned lessons uh, in the past in terms of how money is uh, dispersed and uh, the importance of accountability and transparency i think uh, the lessons learned in the past so i think i think that the money will 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 be will, will will be spent i cannot tell you that how it will be distributed to the to the people but i'm i'm pretty sure that with the system and the lessons that we have learned in the past uh, i think the uh, the finance or the the funds can be uh, spent well. And without the international actors flying into Vanuatu to assist with the response, are domestic actors equipped to respond effectively? It's going to be a challenge. Uh, it's going to be a challenge and it, it really uh, stretches. us. It's going to be a major challenge for us. But I, I think with, with, sort, with, with, with that sort of pressure, I think for now we can be able to ha- handle the issue. In terms of addressing all the challenges, I'm, I'm pretty sure that we will not be able to address all the challenges, but we can at least address some of the important ones. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very important. But I think that the key is to be able to work together, the different agencies to work together, and also how to work with uh, less and to do more with less, I think that's the that's the the, the challenge is going forward. But I'm 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 happy that uh, we were able to. I mean, the flights from Australia and New Zealand were were, were accepted. So there are some uh, uh, limited. We accept some of the uh, flights from uh, Australia and New Zealand. Uh, so I think that's that's good. But again, like you said, I think I'm 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 confident that our uh, our, our government can can address some of the uh, our challenges, uh, though our, our capacity is is limited uh, due to the uh, COVID-19 challenges. 
When you say there were flights from Australia, do you mean the Australian Defence Force plane that brought emergency supplies? Yeah, I mean the Defence Force from Australia and New Zealand. It brings me to attitudes to China. Vanuatu is heavily indebted to China, but I know that attitudes to China are quite mixed. What role would you like to see China play in supporting Vanuatu? Well, I, I, I want to see China continue to to support our economy, uh, especially in terms of uh, infrastructure uh, and also uh, opening uh, the Chinese market to Vanuatu's products like exports of, of goods our agricultural products. I think that's uh, very important. And in terms of uh, tourism. But again, China is a, it's a, it's a big global player in the world. So we really, we really cannot uh, run away from, from a big player. It's really how we, we, we manage our, our, our partners. I think that's the, uh, the, the, the question going forward. But I mean, uh, China's assistance is always uh, welcome in Vanuatu. And, uh, of course, we, we, we want to see uh, China and other development partners work together uh, to ensure that uh, Vanuatu is, is developed and to address the, the vulnerabilities that we are facing, especially uh, the natural disasters that we, we, we are continuing to face. And remember that uh, Vanuatu is uh, highly ranked as a, as a vulnerable country in the world. So... Uh, we will need all our international partners to address our, our vulnerability. And I think together we can be able to work uh, further our, our development progress. I think uh, we, 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 we need the partners. And would that include Australia as well? Well, Australia and New Zealand uh, are always there. So they are always, uh, uh, they, are, uh, they are very important uh, to the region and also to Vanuatu. Australia and New Zealand are important players. So... Uh, you really cannot uh, remove Australia and New Zealand from the equation. Uh, they are always there. What role can the Pacific as a region play on the world stage right now? What, what the Pacific can do is be able to be more coordinated at the international level. And I think we, we, are, we, are, we are currently doing that. We are working together as, uh, as, as a unit uh, here at the UN and also in other regional fora. So I think it's, it's very important. Uh, the Pacific is working together. I think uh, with the climate change, uh, and now with the climate change uh, that results in higher, that higher temperatures, that results in more natural disasters, the, the Pacific can, work toge- can, can do is work together to highlight our vulnerability and how uh, the international, uh, our international partners or the global community can address that. I think the, the, our challenge we are facing is most of these small states around the world, most of them are middle-income countries, uh, but again, they are severely affected by, by climate change and now with COVID-19, with natural disasters. Uh, but sometimes, um, uh, most times, these uh, uh, small states, do not, they, are not, they, they are not able to access uh, uh, concessionary financing, even though they are vulnerable. So that's one area where the Pacific Islands can work together with other small states in the Caribbean and in the Indian Ocean. We can work together and and highlight our vulnerability and how the international community can be able to support us. Would you like to see that concessionary financing become more available from the bilateral donors or from the multilateral system? I think from from both, the, the bilateral and 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 multilateral uh, uh, institutions. 
It would be remiss of me not to ask, given that you are working for the United Nations, what do you see as the role of the United Nations and the multilateral system broadly in light of COVID-19? Well, I, I think the uh, the UN is uh, it, it's it's trying uh, the UN is trying its best. Uh, I think we are we are also uh, facing challenges that now we are uh, not meeting face to face. We are we we are not meeting and we are not discussing issues at the UN, uh, but we are talking uh, online or via Skype. Uh, so that's that's one of the the challenges, but. Uh, the UN, as as a, as a body, is trying to address some of the uh, challenges that we are we are facing with COVID-19. Uh, for example, uh, uh, the UN and the WHO, especially WHO, are providing updates, uh, advices to to small states like Vanuatu. So uh, we, we we appreciate those uh, those type of advice. So so the UN is uh, it's not sleeping, but it's it's trying its. Uh, best to advise uh, small states and as well as uh, other developing countries so so we rely on the on the UN's advice uh, as well as uh, uh, the best practices or lessons that they can they can provide us thanks Sado, for your time well thank you thank you you're welcome that was Dan McGarry and Otto Tevi on Goodwill Hunters from the Development Policy Center I'm your host Rachel Mason Nunn see you next week <laughs>